Welcome. You are listening to the Mindful Minute, meditations created for everyday joy. I'm your host, Meryl Arnett, and my passion is making meditation accessible and enjoyable. This podcast is recorded from my live Monday night meditation class, where we have a brief discussion followed by a guided meditation. If you would like to access these meditation practices as standalone audio files for your daily practice, please subscribe to my newsletter at merylarnett.com. It's free and you'll receive a new mini meditation each week, along with behind the scenes content and bonus material for each podcast episode. All right, let's grab a cup of tea, a comfy seat, and settle in for today's practice. Hello. All right. We are journeying through the series that we've been on. I'm really excited to share with you. And I'm going to tell you a funny story. Y'all know Amazing Grace, right? It's like hysterical that I'm the person bringing this song up, but everybody knows Amazing Grace. It's a beautiful song. So beautiful. And you know that the refrain and the, the last little line in the refrain is something about, I once was blind and now I see. And that sentence, that phrase, that refrain is like the hidden premise of this whole series. That's what I realized as I was writing this is I've been singing it as I've been writing this series. And I am really thinking about this series as like removing the blinders. We're changing the way we see. And you'll remember from last week, what we talked about was like removing the blinders towards nature, right? We talked about this disordered relationship that we've developed with nature, not only because of, but partially because of, we really have embodied this idea that we must be comfortable at all times. And to go outside is not comfortable all the time. Sometimes it's hot. This evening, my son had swim team practice. It's like rainy and cold and he had to go to the pool, which he was fine with. And he did. And he came home and we're trying to be like, you are now old enough to be responsible for your own things. So like you're responsible for your water bottle. You're responsible for your swim bag. We are no longer doing that for you. It's not going well. (laughs) And I said, Hey, where are your goggles? And he said, Oh, I left them in dad's car. And I said, well, Go get you have to go get them and put them in your bag so you have them for tomorrow. And he's like, it's raining. I'm gonna get wet. Like this whole thing. I was like, you just got out of the pool. You're still in your swimsuit. You can go get the goggles. And it's a perfect example of what we're talking about. It's like, it's raining. I don't want to go outside. Get wet. We get wet every day, right? We all take showers most of the time. Like, so we're thinking about paying attention to our need for comfort. And you'll remember that the premise I laid out in this last class was that comfort very often equates with loneliness, right? The first version of that was our estranged relationship to nature, the way that we don't feel like we're part of the planet that we live on. And I want to keep with this premise, but now I want to expand not just to the natural world, our relationship with nature, but also to our relationship with others, 
And by others, what I mean is anybody that we perceive in some way, shape, or form to be different than ourselves. If comfort equals loneliness, and we want to think about our comfort in relationship to others, what feels safer than only being around people who look like me and think like me and vote like me and eat like me and do the things that I do? We don't have to stretch at all. We don't have to worry about what we say. We don't have to worry about whether or not we're making somebody feel included or safe. We don't have to worry about whether somebody might make us feel discluded or not included. It's pretty comfortable on the surface. But as we start to do that, right, as we start to say, well, just these mirror images are allowed to be here with me, well, the walls start to get really, really tight, right? I don't have room for any discomfort. And slowly but surely, I find that I am more and more and more alone. And so the premise from our talk with nature was go outside, start to build that tolerance for discomfort. This is resiliency. This is one of the two words we're using over and over again in the series. Resiliency is the capacity to withstand or recover quickly from difficulties. It's elasticity, right? And we're going to talk about that exact same thing about starting to build our tolerance for discomfort with others. We're going to start to talk about stretching ourselves. Now, I want to name two things that come to mind really quickly. The first of which is, I don't know about y'all, but when I say others, immediately my mind goes to the political other. That's just the world we're living in right now is so binary in the political realm and it's very noisy. And the minute we go there, it gets really painful, it gets really heated, and it can feel really unsafe. And I want to name that you don't have to go there. We do not have to make this talk about politics. I do think that this talk is inviting us down that path at some point, which might not be this point, and that's okay. Never, ever, ever in any of these classes am I going to ask you to put yourself in emotional, mental, or physical distress. So you don't have to expand this to all others on the planet, even the ones that cause you the most heartache. But we could start to expand in very small, very safe ways. When I was writing this, the first example that came to mind for me actually was my book club, which is so silly, but I'm going to go with it. I'm part of a book club. It is our neighborhood book club. So this is not like my friends and we get together once a month and we all already text and hang out and do other things. That's not this book club. This book club is open to any single person in this neighborhood. I live in a neighborhood with a hundred plus homes, I think. And anybody in the neighborhood can show up. And I knew two people 
in the group when I decided to start going. And it meets on Tuesday nights at 7.30. And I don't know about y'all, but most nights at 7.30, I'm like, let me get these kids in bed and get my jammies on and sit down and watch the next episode of Wednesday. I don't want to get up and get dressed and go to a book club. Every month I think that. And sometimes they pick books like I probably wouldn't choose to read it on my own. And every month I go. And every month when I leave, I am so glad I went. Because I talked to somebody that I had never met before. Because I got to hear a whole bunch of different opinions on a book that I also have opinions about that I got to experience having conversation and laughing and feeling connected. And then the next time I go for a walk in the neighborhood, I might see one of those people from book club and I can wave and be like, oh my God, I know that person now. And I have never once regretted going to that book club. And yet every month it's tomorrow night. And I already am like, am I going to go? Now I know I'm going to, because I just named it for y'all. But I think it every month because it's a stretch to do that. It's not like I'm walking into a room full of friends. That's so different. This is a stretch. And it might seem really silly, but that stretch is building that resilience, right? It's teaching me. It's giving me that skill of like, I won't necessarily regret this, even though it's a little hard, even though it's a little uncomfortable. And I think so often, you know, Brene Brown has that fabulous phrase, people are hard to hate up close, move in. Do you know that phrase? I love it. People are hard to hate up close, move in. And she's asking us, that sentence is asking us to stretch in some little way. Here's another, oh, this is another such a silly example, but it's where I want to go with tonight's talk is like, it doesn't have to be the hardest, scariest people. And I also know like for the people on the call, I don't know about everybody on the podcast, but the people on the call, I I know that I'm preaching to the choir a little bit. I know that you guys engage. I know that you don't self-select out of groups, right? That you care about others. And I think that Even if that's the case, it's so worthwhile to consciously name our relationship with others, like this blanket other, and think about where we might not be seeing other people or other experiences because we can't see them all. We can't know them all. And we can be curious about that. So here's my other silly example. Y'all know we're mountain people. We go to the mountains all the time. This was years ago, and I know I've shared the story before. I remember sharing it before with you guys. But years ago, we're driving on the Blue Ridge Parkway. We're up in the Smoky Mountains, and we stop at a like a rest stop, you know, and it has like a little park ranger stand where you can get maps and stuff, and a concession, a little gift shop, all that stuff. And we go in, and we're poking around, and we bought something, some snacks or something. And we're checking out and the park ranger that's at the checkout is a little old lady. She says, oh, where are y'all from? We said, Atlanta. She goes, oh my God, I went to Atlanta once and I drove on 285 
And it was so scary. I've never been so scared in my life. How do y'all drive that fast? And as she was saying that to me, I was having this whole internal dialogue where I was thinking, oh my gosh, you are the person driving 35 miles an hour on the highway that I am stuck behind screaming in my car, going, get out of my way. I'm going to die on the highway because you are going so slow, right? That's who you are. And I met you and you're lovely and you're right. If you don't drive on a six lane highway going 80 miles an hour every day, I bet that's scary as everything. I think it's scary sometimes, right? Like I totally get that that's scary. What's interesting about that very silly moment is every time I'm on 285 or any highway and somebody's driving really slow and I feel that like, oh my God, we're going to die because you are driving so slow on this highway. Get out of the way. I think of that woman and suddenly the other, which is in one dimensional faceless being in a car that is going too slow becomes a full-bodied three-dimensional human that has very real emotions, one of them being fear. And it gives me that momentary hiccup of, oh, maybe I don't need to be so mad. I could go around and I am definitely going to hope that I don't die on this highway going 35 miles an hour while I wait to go around you. But you're a whole person. You are not just the slow car in front of me. And I really think that's what I want us to think about when we're talking about our relationships with others. Because other so easily becomes a faceless, one-dimensional, void of emotion thing that we don't spend any time thinking about. And the moment that thing becomes a face with emotions that we too experience, I really think it sets us on the pathway to healing and wholeness, right? All those people that show up at book club, we don't think the same. I've never asked, but I'm positive we don't all vote the same, right? I bet it's a 50-50 split, just like most of the country. And we talk about books. And our yards or whatever neighborhood gossip is happening in the moment, there is something to this capacity to build a relationship before you state, oh, well, I know we're not going to agree on this, so we better not even have that conversation. It might get uncomfortable. So I want to go back to Brene Brown's quote, which I paraphrased before, but I'm going to read you like this is the full quote from her book. People are hard to hate close up, move in, speak truth to bullshit, be civil, hold hands with strangers, strong back, soft front, wild heart. She's not saying you got to be friends with everybody. She's not saying that we have to pretend to agree when we don't agree or that we have to put ourselves in harm's way. 
but what she is saying, and I think what the practice asks of us is to move in, is to not let ourselves live in a tiny box or on a tiny meditation cushion and say, well, this is comfortable, right? Because that's not what our lives are are about. It's saying we're not meant to live in this one tiny little box where nothing ever hurts us or touches us. But what we do, what we do this practice for is so that we can step out the door and know that even when we get dinged up, we're elastic. We're going to be okay. We have practices to support our nervous system. We have community that we practice in to hold us up when we need it. And each and every practice that we do, whether it's a seated practice on a cushion, whether it's a conversation with a person you might never otherwise have a conversation with, each of those practices move us on this pathway towards wholeness, towards healing. And so we'll do our practice in a minute. You know, I just want to name that I think one of the things our practice does for us In the practice, we're really teaching ourselves how to let go of binary thinking. You know what I mean by that? Like when we sit and meditate and all these thoughts come up, this is the one time that we're asked to not say good thought, bad thought, right, wrong, true, false. We're not asked to, there's no choice to make. There is no basket that we have to place it in and say definitively, this is the thing. And almost everything in our life asks us to think in such binary terms. It is this or that. You are like me or against me. The practice is teaching us how to engage with our thoughts in a place that is all grace unknown, paradoxical. And every time we do that, it's building that tolerance for us to say, this doesn't have to be right or wrong for me to participate in it. I can engage in a space of both and or unknown or curiosity. I'll tell one more super fast story and then we'll practice. One of my friends recently had her second child and we were chatting on the phone and she's telling me that she's, they've chosen to co-sleep with this second child, meaning the baby sleeps in the bed with her and her partner. And she said, it's so much easier than the first time around. Like we're sleeping great. We're getting so much more sleep than we were. And then the conversation goes to, I have so many regrets about not doing this with our first child, you know, and anybody who's like even looked at all into sleep stuff, it's so binary, right? There are the people who are like co-sleeping, amazing. It's natural. It's the way you're meant to sleep with your baby. And there are people that are like, your baby's going to die if you co-sleep. And those are the two conversations that are happening. It is one or the other, your baby will die, or this is natural and correct. Those are the choices. And here's my friend who did not co-sleep with baby number one and is co-sleeping with baby number two. 
And she's like, oh, I wish I had done it. I was so scared. I didn't know. And I said, what if both of those are okay? What if it's okay that you did to- two totally different things with your kids? You did what was right. You thought in the moment. You made the best choice with the knowledge you had available at the time. And what if we could just hold that both choices are okay? And I think that's what this practice is asking us or teaching us how to do is to see binary thinking and to say, I'm just going to sit right here in the middle of all that. One foot on both sides. Okay. So why don't we try that in our practice? Yeah. Go ahead. Take a moment. Get some comfortable seat. Oh, I see the chat, some conversations. <laughs> Good book club every single month. Yes, Nadia. So glad I'm not the only one. Dialectical thinking, Sarah. Yes, completely. <laughs> okay. So let us get situated. Sit cross legged, sit in a chair, lie on a couch or on your bed, however you feel comfortable and supported. Let your hands rest in a way that feels good for you. And if you want to close your eyes, please feel free. And if that doesn't quite feel right for you this evening, you can always take a soft gaze down towards the ground. And together as a group, let's take a deep inhale in through the nose. Exhale out a sigh. And we'll just do that again, inhaling deeply. Exhaling out a sigh. And allowing your breath to flow. allowing your body and your mind, all of you, to land right here. And silently to ourselves, we start our practice by saying, now is my time to meditate. Now is my time to meditate. And as you say those words to yourself, I wonder how much more you can sit down. Being curious about all of those sneaky ways you are already preparing for what comes next. And as you feel yourself landing fully in your seat, feel yourself lifting and lengthening your spine a little bit. Allowing yourself to sit in a way that feels somewhat relaxed and somewhat awake. crown of your head is lifted. And 
And perhaps in your mind's eye, take a moment just to draw three circles around yourself. These three circles protecting us from all the outside noises and distraction. Protecting us from the way our thoughts wander. And protecting us from all the stories we tell ourselves. As we sit inside these three circles, feel yourself drawing all of your senses inward. Vowing that your mind, your awareness will not cross those circles. From inside yourself, you feel your forehead smoothing and broadening. You feel yourself letting go across your temples and behind your eyes. Softening the jaw and the inside of the cheeks. Feel yourself letting go between the right ear and the left ear. Imagining your shoulders softening. Feeling down the length of your arms, your upper arms your lower arm, your wrists and your fingertips. Imagine or invite yourself to let go of the muscles across your chest. Let go of the muscles through the belly. Softening across your hips, thighs, calves and ankles. Feeling all the way down into the soles of your feet. And then broaden your awareness enough that you can take in your entire body breathing. You feel the subtle way your body expands as you breathe in. The small way your body contracts as you breathe out. And maybe you notice that simply by taking the seat of meditation, you are embodying some of Brene Brown's instruction. Strong back, soft front, and as we sit here and we breathe, 
We feel each pulsation of breath. And we let go of the need to make anything else a choice. Your thoughts are going to happen. And you don't have to choose good thought or bad thought. You don't have to choose whether you're doing a good job or a bad job. We simply sit and breathe. We allow ourselves to feel whatever it is we're feeling. We allow our thoughts to move through us without holding on to them, without arguing with them. We simply sit inside ourselves and build our tolerance for discomfort. We'll sit now about 10 minutes in silence. Feel yourself breathing. And let everything else rise up and fall away just as it wants to.
feeling your breath here. Noticing where your mind is and bringing it back to yourself if it's left. Letting go of any need to judge or name your experience. And instead, allow yourself to sit tall. Deepen your breath. And feel how this practice was that opportunity to move in. When you're ready, you can wiggle your fingers and your toes. And together, we'll take one last deep breath in here. Exhaling out a sigh. And taking all the time you need. Let go of your practice to blink your eyes open again. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Mindful Minute. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving me a review wherever you get your podcasts. This helps others to find the show. And let's face it, we could definitely use more meditators out there. The Mindful Minute is recorded on Muskogee land and is produced with the support of Michael Sayhouse and Brianna Nielsen. To join my live classes, ask questions, or learn more about my teacher trainings, please visit MerylArnett.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.